This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. So normally I just dive in and ask people to introduce themselves, say who they are and what they do. Do you want to do that? Yeah, okay. My name is Will Middleton. I'm a product manager for Local Welcome. I've been a user-centered designer for a decade now. Before that, I was a musician, and this is my first full-time product role at Local Welcome. And I think product manager roles mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So Mm. where I am at Local Welcome, fundamentally, a lot of it is about helping our team decide what is important enough to work on now and what we should leave till later. And so that happens within a bigger context of thinking about what our organization strategy is and what our product strategy is. But really day to day, a lot of my job is about helping the team make those decisions about what to focus on and for how long. And you were at GDS before that as well, if I remember correctly. I was at GDS before that. Yeah. And so it was just a really interesting education about I guess providing kind of like business to business tools, but in a government context. So it's government to government tools. We were making really good tools for other people doing digital transformation in government to be able to use in their services to save time and money. I should say that GDS is government digital service. I forgot yes. to say that. That's okay. So I followed a while ago a number of people that were at GDS or ex-GDS because there's so much that different people can learn from what's happened or happening at GDS. And I saw a post from you back in April where you posted linking to a post about different work cultures and not being co-located so working from home and the differences between oral culture and written culture and I thought that was really interesting and I thought it would be good for us to talk about that but before we do that you're now at Local Welcome and that's interesting do you want to explain what Local Welcome's about? Sure so Local Welcome is a charity And it's also a startup. So there's only six of us and it's been going for five years, but really it's been going as a startup for the last two years. And what Local Welcome does is we bring together local people and refugees together for two hours on a Sunday to cook and eat a meal with each other. And it's really important to say that it is not a service for refugees. It's not about feeding refugees or doing things for refugees Hmm. the meal is really there as a way to get people who are different to feel comfortable spending time with each other and getting to know each other because the idea came from wanting to connect people that want to or that care about refugees coming to this country or that want to give them a better experience than maybe some of our media headlines or local climates would suggest that they receive but we're really interested in reducing power dynamics between people. So we don't really want like a kind of service provider, service beneficiary type relationship, or even more harshly, like a kind of savior complex type thing going on. And so the meal is really important because cooking and eating together is a universal human experience. We all do it in different ways in our different cultures. And it just eases a lot of the barriers that people have when they first spend time with each other. So if you don't speak very much English, then you can just like focus on chopping an onion together. So the the meal is really good. And the meal Mm. is about providing people a shared task. There's this thing called social contact theory, which informs some of our work where 
if you want people who are different to each other to you know like get to know each other on a kind of equal way one of the really important ways you can do that is give them a shared task to do we all know this like if you're thrown into a situation where you suddenly have to collaborate on something as a group uh, you can end up building quicker relationships very quickly you can you know at the end of a two-hour workshop or even an hour session at a conference you can suddenly feel like you know someone much better if you've been like working on something together whereas if you're thrown together and told to mix then some people thrive on that like some people like that kind of networking environment and other people just cannot stand it so if people wanted to find out more about local welcome and or donate what's the best way of them doing that our website is localwelcome.org and we're on lockdown right now so we stopped running our meals at the end of february early march but we are currently replanning to come back when it's safe to do so Hmm. because we think that there will be lots of demand for what we do lots of lots more people are going to want to do things that are giving to their communities and lots more people are going to want to do things that are kind of social and so yeah there's a donate button on there and if you donate that money will go towards helping us come back bigger and stronger in more places across the UK. In terms of local welcome and how it communicates and shares knowledge today and uses oral methods and written methods do you want to explain sort of the the current situation as how it works today the stuff i've said about local welcome so far is really about like how we operate as a charity or how we operate as a service externally the other framing that is important here like you could do what we do in where i live in Leighton. you could do that on a sunday and that would be powerful but it it wouldn't justify having a team of people working on it. So the other part of local welcome is that we've been given a, a bunch of money by the lottery to form a multidisciplinary team based on lean, agile, user-centered design principles, same kind of stuff that comes out of GDS, but the stuff that's in the in the wider air about how work is changing and use that to apply that to the voluntary sector, the charity sector, the third sector, whatever label you want to put on it and so our goal is to take that meal that happens on a Sunday that we know works really well and to scale it up so that it's happening in a hundred places around the UK every Sunday and have it where all the local people so the half of the meal that are drawn from the local population rather than refugees pay for that experience when you think about it like that they pay fiver for each meal so they're both giving money and their time to the service to the, the meal so when you think about it like that it's analogous to a startup that is trying to grow a paying base of subscribers and people that will pay for its services. So there's a way of looking at it that makes it look like a classic startup challenge. So the way we work at Local Welcome is we have a multidisciplinary team. So there's product, design, operations, communications, delivery, and then the founder, six people. And so we are founded on the idea that we will build on that idea of a multidisciplinary team who collaborates and sets the agenda together and works together and decides when things are done together and reflects on work together. And that is a very powerful way of working. And it's, it's a way that, you know, I've seen happen work really well at GDS, mm. but it is also quite a heavily oral culture. So there's this mm. article that I read, Conway's Law, Latency Versus Throughput by Mark Seaman. Mm. And he's, talking about like a more tech focused view of the world and talking about the way that open source culture 
had to develop ways of working where it was asynchronous and it wasn't based on conversations because people were in different time zones and so it evolved this written culture as opposed to the oral culture that exists in a lot of workplaces and i'd never really thought about workplaces as being an oral culture hmm. but having thought about that it just rang a lot of bells so if you if i think about my time at gds like that was an oral culture in the sense that you'd have a team that would be sat around the bank of desks you'd have stand-ups every morning you'd chat to each other either you know over the top of your monitors or on slack but it would be yeah. chatting to each other like back and forth very little was written down and documented and there were good reasons for that because it allows you to move quickly it allows you to adapt quickly you don't waste time over documenting when you change direction you're not burdened by having to update all of your documentation like there are lots of powerful things about working in that oral culture way like it, it comes quite naturally to us and I think when we talked about this before you mentioned there's it lets you pick up on body language cues and facial expression cues and there's lots of really good things about oral culture but there are also some quite serious problems with it and if we sort of pick some of those problems apart one of the problems with an oral culture is that when someone goes on holiday there is no record of what they do so there's this sort of pressure to do these big handover notes or their work just kind of stops while they go away another one is that when people leave and you hear this in big organizations all the time i worked at home office and this was like their number one concern is this phrase knowledge walking out of the door because it's an oral culture because nothing's written down all of the knowledge is bound up in the heads of the people that are there and when key people leave the knowledge goes and it sets the organization back or they have to rework or they have to problem solve like these are the problems that when you're in organizations that, that you worry about, like how do we deal with people being on leave? How do we deal with people walking out of the door? Like a lot of organizations operate quite complex or complicated systems with lots of different processes that interact with each other. If you think about home office, when you apply for a visa, like the place where you do the application is different from the place where it is processed, is different from the place where a human judgment is made on it is different from the place where it's notified these are all done by different teams in different parts of the organization and anyone that's worked in a large organization knows that one of the challenges is trying to connect all of that stuff up and part of the reason it's not connected is because again a lot of it's an oral culture not not that much of it is documented so i read this article which was talking about these differences between oral and cultures and it just felt like okay this is a bunch of the stuff that has been difficult about being a manager or a leader in a large organization and so I think back to my time as a design consultant often what we would do as a design consultant is that you would come in and the first thing you do is you get all the important stakeholders in a room and you get them to map out the service or the system or the organization that they're operating and there's always this light bulb moment where they all look at each other and, and just realize that they didn't know what each other were doing or how their work interrelates. And it's like that's a very powerful tool you have is you let people see the thing that they're all working on together. And again, that's, I think, a byproduct of our emphasis on an oral culture where things are done in meetings, they're done in conversations, they might be done in emails, but stuff isn't written down. So at Local Welcome, we have always been like a part remote team anyway. Celia, our operations lead, lives in Derby. Claire, our comms lead, lived in Nottingham. And we've been working out how to work remotely. And then obviously we went on lockdown. And I read this article just shortly after we went on lockdown. And lockdown for us doesn't just mean working remotely. Lockdown for us also means that 
maybe the team that we have now is not going to be the same team that is in place when we restart meals. We just don't know. Like it depends when we restart meals. If it's in six months, fine. If it's in two years, you know, probably not. And so, so much of our knowledge about how to run local welcome is in our heads or in the work that we do or in the relationships between each other. And so I've just been thinking a little bit about how might we move from an oral culture, which is flexible and fast and comes naturally to a lot of people and doesn't feel dogmatic or overbearing. How might we move some of that into a written culture so that we take the time to work out how to describe the work that we do so that other people could pick it up and do it, whether that's when we go on holiday or when we leave or when the whole team changes. And we've actually been focusing a bit of our work recently on making that shift. It's a really interesting topic. We have in the past been involved with companies and it's been around the scaling issue. They've grown to the point, as once described to me, where the directors no longer had time to do the heroic tales around the campfire <laughs> of, of introducing and saying hello to every person and, and giving them a sort of induction session on the culture of the company and where they wanted the option of, of getting people to slot in and everybody to do it in the same way. The oral culture is great for getting the context right, for developing ideas and developing good practice and best practice, but it is time consuming. But the downside, of course, is as soon as you write it down, you're putting in boundaries. You're putting things into a document, which is a boundary, or you're, you're structuring it with certain headings, which is a boundary, and you're framing it. That may be premature. People don't like so, that, right, as well. Like, let's just, just be honest. There are just lots of people that don't like having to agree on a shared definition because it's easier not to have to. And, and that's not to say that it's always right that you should have a shared definition. There are lots of times when you need to keep it loose. But people are just a little bit averse sometimes to committing to that kind of level of clarity sometimes. Well, there is, I think there's a phrase, it's storming, forming, norming, growth of a, a company. And also there's a point at a company where it goes from looking forward to looking back. And I think yeah. part of it is a reluctance to, to do that in that you're stopping building and then you're starting to live in a building, as it were. Yeah. Um, and I think that puts some people off because they, they want to be in the growth stage and they don't want to be at the point where they recognise that no, we're no longer growing. We're now stabilising and underpinning what's going on. Yeah. Well, let's start first with what content are you dealing with? I'd say there are two big areas that we're talking about. One is all our operational procedures. So over the last 18 months, we have done a lot of learning about how to launch a group in a location, find local leaders, find local members, find refugees to come along. And then all the processes that we need to keep that going, like how do we book new dates with the venues? How do we assign leaders to meals? How do we publicize our tickets to people that are going to buy them? How do we get everyone in the right place at the right time? So we've got these nine operational areas that we have gradually documented over the last few months that are the result of us having learnt a huge amount about how to run our service. And it would have been, like you were just saying, inappropriate to document that stuff six months ago or nine months ago in the level of detail that we've got now because we were we were really still learning how to do it so it was kind of improvisational we were changing it slightly every time thinking on our feet but as stuff has solidified it's felt really important to be able to document it so that we can stop worrying about it and move on to improvising and thinking on our feet about the next set of challenges 
So those operational areas are really important as we've got these nine areas. An example would be start a new group. And another operational area would be recruit leaders to the group. And another operational area would be arrange all the meals for all the groups in a month. Like, so there's a bunch of different kind of jobs that we do each month. And each of those areas has, you know, six to 12 tasks in it. And each of those tasks can be just a page or it might be several pages. It just depends how detailed our instructions and procedures are. So I'd say there's maybe 100 pages of that operational procedures. And that's what we've been focusing a lot recently. But the other thing that we've done at Local Welcome is we have a lot of meeting note content. Because we meet remotely, we have got into the habit of having one of us in Notion, which is a kind of intranet tool, content management system tool, web-based, mm -hmm. really nice. But one of us will be note-taking. And so we set an agenda. They'll be note-taking. They share the screen on a video call. They set the agenda. We agree the agenda together. So we sit down at the start, what do we want to discuss? And then we note as we go. So we have a kind of note of our discussions and a note of all the actions. And what that means is we've got, I would say, hundreds of notes from different meetings that we've had. So that's one of our big parts of content is operational procedures, which are how we do things and meeting notes, which are records of what we're talking about and what we're going to change. We're in a situation with the lockdown where lots of people are working from home. There are many organisations in a similar position today. There's a lot of people using video calls to do face-to-face, -face, which can be, as people are discovering, very tiring and very time-consuming. And so they may also be looking at moving away from some of the oral ways that they do things today to having things documented more often. Can you tell me more about how you've, you're tackling the problem, approaching the problem? We've been doing the bulk of our meetings on video call for 18 months now because we have remote team members and because we often do a lot of things together. Any time that we do anything with Celia or often with FA, who's our designer, who often works from home, we use Whereby, which used to be called Appearing, which is much simpler than Zoom. It's just browser-based. It hasn't really got any bells and whistles. What are the most productive ways to transpose some of the things that worked face to face and that don't work so well on a video call the first one is having the meeting notes visible as a shared screen as one of the video things in the video call so that it's clear what the structure is what we're meant to be talking about if people want to go back and look at what has been said or pick up points that came from earlier or skim the previous notes so one of the things is every meeting we have like i said already we open up a notion document we date it we have an idea of the topics we want to cover and then we work through them and that that to be honest has made our meetings better and more focused than like pretty much most of the face-to-face -face meetings i've ever been in my life because there is someone visibly maintaining how you are going to get through the things that are there and everything that everybody says is honored right you know in, in a meeting sometimes you can feel like what you said just disappears into someone else's desire to say their thing uh, and there's something about there being live notes of what is happening that everyone can see that makes it fairer and people are heard more. So I think that's just a really powerful way to run meetings. People always talk about having an agenda and sticking to the agenda. But I would say we collaborate on what the agenda is at the start. And then the, it's not like there's one person controlling it. It's visible for all. And the way we do that is a shared screen in Whereby. Do you talk and then write up or are you writing as somebody is talking? 
So what will generally happen is someone will be the primary note taker and that person is normally the person that isn't contributing lots of speaking. Mm -hmm. And when they speak or if they're talking about a topic, you know, we get onto something that they're the, the one that is having the main conversation or is answering questions then someone else takes over. So we just developed a set of protocols where it's like, I'll be like, I'm noting for this meeting. And then when it gets to me, I'll say to my colleague, Andrew, Andrew, do you mind noting while I just talk through this thing? Because it's quite hard to note about what you're saying and engage with other people and listen to them. Anything else that's worked? We've been learning, but I think lockdown has really brought home hmm. is what does it mean to work together online? The default assumption is that you just chuck everyone in a video call and you do a face-to-face -face meeting. But actually, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't really work. Apart from anything else, we don't we, we kind of don't want to look at ourselves. Like there's a weird looking at ourselves thing that happened in these video calls. Mm. But also you end up just looking at a bunch of talking heads. And that's not really what's going on a lot of times when we're in meetings. We tend in meetings to be sometimes looking at our own notes or doodling or working together on a whiteboard or looking at a shared presentation. And so if you sort of break down what's going on when a group of people come together to work together in real life, like often I'm sitting there sketching and someone next to me is looking at the thing that I'm sketching and then leaning over and like making amendments. So actually the thing that's become clear to me is working together is often about both of you looking at a shared artifact or screen or object and manipulating it together. So if you're sat around a whiteboard or you're stood around a whiteboard, then the whiteboard is that shared object. If I'm sketching, then the sketch is the shared object. If I'm showing a, a spreadsheet on a screen, then the spreadsheet is the squared object. But there's multiple people looking at the same document. And actually, that's it turns out that in 2020, that's really easy to do online and really productive. So here's how we work together. When we're going to be working together on something, all the cams go off. We've started doing this recently. So it's audio only. And then all of us get up a cloud document something like a google doc a google sheet a notion page a miro board which used to be real-time board yeah, Miro is a yeah. whiteboard isn't it yeah it's like an online whiteboard but anything where each of us can pull it up on our own computers and edit it and everyone else can see the edits that are happening at the same time which is a kind of class of interaction that has only really started to mature in the last five years like bits of it have been around for longer but but it's starting to become widespread and so what happens there is suddenly the distance collapses because we're all using our own viewport into this document, which is this computer that is our computer, that we know how it's set up, we know how to use it, and we've all got our own personal agency in being able to use it. So we feel very comfortable and very natural. We can talk to each other and explain what we're doing or highlight different bits because we're on audio. And suddenly it feels just like we're sat around the table working on a document. You forget that you're on video calls. So an example of this is that yesterday, me and Andrew, who's our delivery manager, and FA, who's our designer, we're working on a piece of work at the moment, which is about how do we automate the approval process when we get a leader who signs up and pays, they then have to go through a DBS check, and then they have to go through a safeguarding training, and then we have to do a final couple of checks, and then we send them a welcome pack, and they're ready to leave meals. So up to now, this process has been quite a manual process that Andrew does. But yesterday, we spent two hours in Miro just laying out a system architecture, I guess, or a flowchart or a mm -hmm. data flow about how we were going to automate the different stages of this. And for the two hours went by in like 15 minutes because 
we were just sat looking at a shared sketch, each of us contributing and manipulating stuff. And so suddenly then, yeah, you're using video call, like we're on whereby in the background, that's how we do audio. But we're not just sat passively looking at each other. We're all leaning in. We're all using our own trackpad or mouse or shortcut keys. And we've got our own sizing set up and our own control of the viewport. And so we're using all the power of how we work with software individually, but we're doing it collaboratively. And that, to me, is what I'm seeking when we do remote work. What is the shared document that we're all looking at? And how are we able to all contribute to the creation of whatever it is that we're trying to create, whether it's a system architecture or we do the same when we're doing our safeguarding policy, which is like a document. Like We'll be sitting there reading through it and making edits together. And I think that's the thing that lockdown has, has shown me. It's not about the video chat. It's not about just chucking everyone in and hoping it will work. It's really about how can you have a shared object that you're all working on together and then the distance just disappears. So is there downsides to this? Are there aspects that you worry about by moving to writing things down and working in this way? Yeah, they're the trade-offs, right? The kind of killer of information architecture is content management. So if information architecture is like this pure, oh, I can imagine the perfect system of relationships between things, the killer of that is day-to-day use. There's all sorts of issues that come with that. Like, you document something and then no one ever updates it we've all seen intranets and websites where stuff is just not updated or filing systems or whatever and that's just an ever-present thing so stuff gets out of date and that is always going to happen no matter how well designed and organized your systems are and so you're always going to need some way to update and prune and so we approach that by everybody has the power to update anything anytime notion is amazing for that it's a content management system that does not feel anything like a content management system and it's just like editing a bunch of linked documents it's so straightforward to make changes and it's version controlled so if you need to go back you can but it's really straightforward so yes content going out of date is always a problem i think there's other sort of more insidious problems though which is that once you start imagining a system or i i'll be honest and some other people but definitely me you have this habit to try and make everything fit the same system and so there are things that are appropriate to be documented and there are other things that we are still working out how to do that a document in them would be a waste of time but as soon as you create a structure you start thinking that everything has to be documented to the same level for example and so that's a slightly more invisible insidious danger but it contributes to the danger of things falling out of date because at its worst what you do is you create a perfect now state version of your system with everything in it and that becomes a weight that stops you updating any of it because you look at the whole thing and you're like, well, there's no way that we can keep updating it. And it all goes out of date. So we try and be really minimal with what we document. Like we only want to document the things that really matter. And so we're not trying to force everything out of an oral culture into a written culture. That's not what we're trying to do. There's lots of work that we do that is still oral culture. What we're really trying to do is when a task is known and repetitive and should roughly be done the same way each time well then it's time to write it down and do it the same way each time rather than having to work it out every time you might need different document types to deal with the different maturities of your processes and procedures yeah definitely the operational procedure stuff we have is quite hardened we expect that stuff to be done reasonably the same every time and if not we would expect to do like an epic or a piece of work to change the way we do it whereas meeting notes are almost totally ephemeral you make them in the meeting 
you assign the actions after them, but they're pretty much gone. Yeah, we've got them all stored, but we don't need to go back and edit them ever. We rarely read them. So we have these different document types. And I think one thing that I've really struggled with as a product manager in this role is the difference between the work that we do when we're doing epics or stories or cards or whatever the unit of work you want to think about doing it and the work that we're doing when we're doing operations. So we're a small team. We do both those things. We do both work that is epics and stories, and we do operations that isn't on cards. It's like on cycles and just part of our job. And the difference between those two bits of work, or for me, the conception is when we're doing epics or stories or cards, what we're doing is we're making changes to the way that we operate. And those changes end up reflected in our operational procedures. And then the operational procedures govern the way that we operate. But there's two distinct types of work that we do. There's operational work where we're executing known procedures. And then there's design and development. So rather than different document types, the different work, like what are we working on here? Are we doing creative work that is going to replace the way that we currently do something with something different? Or are we operating something that we've agreed how to operate? In terms of where you are today and what you're planning for the future what next steps or further developments that you'd like to implement there's a guy called simon wardley who does these things called wardley maps which are really interesting but i won't talk about the wardley maps what i'll talk about is he's got this model of pioneers settlers town planners he thinks that people fall into these different groups like either you're a pioneer who are really interested in the kind of bleeding edge of innovation and Mm. almost like experimenting with ideas and designs and technology just for the sake of it a lot of good ideas come out of that but they're often not applied to a market and the people that apply that to a market are settlers you take a good idea you iron out all the edges you work out what the market is you work out how it needs to operate you work out all the risky assumptions and that this idea can actually fit this market and then once that's happened you then have town planners who take an idea that is working in a market and they optimize it and they make it you know more efficient and more scalable we've really been doing the settler thing we've been taking a good idea this idea about running a meal at a weekend with people paying in enough places. And we've been working out painfully, slowly, how we hone that idea so it's actually possible to do and it will fit the market and there's enough demand for it and it works and we can do it and it's safe and it's enjoyable and it has the outcomes that we need from it. We're right now on the cusp of starting to think about the town planning part, which is, okay, we're running in eight cities at the moment. We need to take that and turn it into 80 cities in order to become self-funding. And that is a very different challenge. And so where we are now is we've kind of documented all the things that we currently do to launch groups and run groups and operate groups. But our task now is to work through that and take the bits that are painful or take a lot of time or we wouldn't be able to do 80 times every week or every month and automate those. Like the process by which we set up the meals for the month at the moment we have a hundred different local leaders across all of these groups and so we email them all and say which sundays are you free on and they email us all back and we enter them all in a spreadsheet and then we jigsaw them and we fit the leaders to the meals to the venue availability and then we fix the dates and we put google calendar invites and we send out invites and we add them to eventbrite and it's a, it's a long process and i know because i do that every month but it's automatable there's a way that you could just press a button and it does all this for you. I'm being a bit reductive, but not that reductive. This is what the kind of tech side of local welcome is about is once we've worked out how to do something that works, how do we then automate it? So where we are right now, we have these nine operational areas. We've just completed a piece of work to make sure that everything we do in these nine operational areas is documented as is today. And now we're embarking on the right. Now, which bits are painful and how do we automate it? 
having it written down what we do is so powerful because for any part of what we do like that leader meal booking process that i talked about there's just a page in notion that says everything that we do and you look at it and you think oh my god that looks insane but you also look at it and you think okay so if i was to automate this these are the tools these are the workflows this is the architecture that i'd need to do across these nine operational areas where we're maybe doing 100 tasks across all of them we're now picking them off one by one, the ones that can be automated, that take a lot of time, cause us a lot of pain, won't let us scale. And we're just working out how to automate them one by one. And so I think the next iteration of this is gonna be, how do we have a manual of all the things that we do, which also makes it clear what's going on with the invisible automated stuff that's happening on a kind of software technology level. It's a very interesting approach. Interesting to hear you talk about the way it's being tackled there because we have similar challenges and approaches to managing projects and working and communicating. A number of different ideas there that uh, I think we might be able to adopt. If somebody wants to contact you, what's the best way of contacting you? Twitter, but you're going to have to spell my surname right which is <laughs> a very awkward surname i am at middleton and middleton is m for mother y for yankee double d e l t o n it's a y not an i and it's an e l not an l e and it's um, two d's and, and it's two d's it's two d's because <laughs> there's so many ways that people misspell it so i'm will middleton if you search me on twitter m y double d e l t o n you will find me there I think that's probably the appropriate point to stop at this time. So very topical at this moment. So it's been lovely talking to you, Will. Yeah, you too. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's the first podcast interview I've ever done, and I've long wanted to see how it works. So I appreciate the invite. Thank you.